0: like to be amazed I'd have to say that all of us want to be amazed one of my favorite uh, favorite movies is the Incredibles I know most of you guys are thinking really that the Pixar movie The Incredibles absolutely I always saw myself as Mr. Incredible I'll be honest with you um, but one of my favorite things is in, in the scene is when uh, he pulls up and uh, in his driveway and he's in the old car and he steps on the state board he bends the, the roof of the car and, and then he slams the door to makes the window break and he picks up the car because he's so mad and the kid's sitting there on his tricycle uh, big wheel going and the bubble pops on his face and just a little bit later in the in the movie same type of thing happens he comes back and he's a little bit disappointed and and the kid's sitting there again and he looks and he's like kid what do you want and he said I don't know just see something amazing I guess a- and that's exactly it don't don't we all just want to see something amazing you know this stuff here is really kind of cool I'm not sure if you guys have ever seen this before but it is a it's kind of amazing, isn't it? It's kind of cool stuff to play with. It's called flash paper, and that piece of paper was about a buck. So, um, I won't, I won't do it again. But the, uh, the, the thing is, is, is you, we want to be amazed. We, we want to see the amazing things. Look, look at the definition for amazing. It says causing great surprise or wonder or to be astonishing. See, we want to be surprised. We want to be honest. We. we we don't go to YouTube and type in average video, okay? Th- that is that is not what we want to see. When we show the, the bad lip reading thing up front, that's got like... million views already on it. It's not like I was going to go, because I'll get on YouTube if I need to figure out how to fix my car and I want to see somebody else has already done it. So I'm not going to get on YouTube and and download the video that says how to fix the camshaft position sensor for a 2003 Altima and show that to you on a morning because nobody's going to be like, oh, that was so cool. I'm so glad you showed that to me. Nobody's going to care about that. There's things that we want to see. There's things that we want to be amazed by. And and you know, uh, it's funny. There's a... um, there's a, a bit that, that a, a comedian did, and I, I think his name is Louis C.K. or something. Like, I can't remember exactly what it is. But he's on Conan O'Brien, and it's called Everything's Amazing, But Nobody's Happy. And, and that's, isn't that the truth? We have technology in our pocket that is more powerful than the Voyager spacecraft. It, than the, the spacecraft that is currently searching, uh, going around the entire universe, the computer system that is on that is not as powerful as the phone that is in your pocket. Isn't that just slightly amazing? The fact that you can download the Paragon app and you can find the map to where we're going to for connection groups, that to me is amazing. To the rest of you, it's like, oh, it's no big deal. It's a map. I mean, but it's not. Because 20 years ago, if you went back to the future kind of thing, you know, did the whole time machine and you hit 88 miles an hour in, in your DeLorean and, and you ended up, in, in the past, and you pull that phone out of your pocket, first of all, it wouldn't work. But everybody would be really impressed at the fact that 20 years from now, that happens. I mean, that phone is so amazing. And yet we take things that are amazing sometimes for granted. And, and we see things that are amazing. We want the next bigger, the next better, the next most awesome thing to be able to see and be a part of. And, and I look at today's passage, and I, and I think... The people that Jesus is talking to are just like us, except they don't have the technology to be awed by. They don't have the the technology to be, wow, that was amazing. But you know what they did have? They had Jesus, the miracle worker, the guy who turned water into wine that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. They had Jesus, and they get to see these things. And see, we see the fact that Jesus was there. And they were in awe of his miracle-working power. And as we kind of go through this, you'll see, um, as we take a look here in John chapter four, and if you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter four, verse, uh, starting in verse 43. Um, as we look at it, we're going to see something, I think, in ourselves that that maybe we kind of come in line with these people, that they're not quite as impressed by Jesus for who he is versus what he does. And we have to be very careful of that. See, in the beginning of John chapter 4, what we talked about last week, John was walking, I'm sorry, Jesus was walking and and heading towards Galilee. He had left Judea. He had gotten really popular in Judea, and, and so he decided it was time for him to go. And so on his way, if you remember last week in John 4, 4, it said he had to go through samaria and so he starts up and he has to go through samaria along the way and as he goes through samaria the reason why he had to is because he had an intentional appointment with the samaritan woman in the town of sychar and while he was there he told her what she had done and this blew her mind so much this wasn't the miracle it wasn't like he waved his hands and made fire with a cool piece of paper he just he just told her who she was and it blew her mind so much that she ran back to the town and told everybody about this guy that told her everything she'd ever done. And the entire town comes out to meet this guy. And then they invite him to stay for two days. And in the process of them staying, they don't just take her at her word for what she had said, but they take him for his word of what he has said. And he goes on, while he is there for two days, and many people believe, not just believe in him and what he can do but believe that he is the savior of the world and there's a big difference between those two things we're going to see that in today's passage and then it goes on from there that he left and he heads on to galilee and i want you to see today the difference between the samaritans and how they respond and how jesus and the galileans respond to jesus so do me a favor in verse 43 of john chapter 4 um, it should be in your bulletins if you don't have your Bible with you, or you can also um, put that into, um, excuse me, uh, onto your version app. You can pull that up and fo- follow along with the notes there as well. This is what it says John chapter 3, I'm sorry, John chapter 4, verse 43. After the two days he left for Galilee, after the two days in Samaria. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. And the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met with him in the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was an exact time at which Jesus said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. This is one of those parts in our chronological gospel. I'm not sure if you've been with us for the whole time, but if you have, we started in September. And as we started in September, we started going through the chronological life of Jesus. And I laid out the different things that the gospel had to say. And as a matter of fact, when we came to this very passage, my idea was to skip it. Because it's really not that impressive. I know some of you look at me and go, really? But have you ever read the Bible where it's just not that impressive? Uh, if you look at the front of your, of your bulletin, it says in the front of your bulletin, how amazed are you by grace? You see, we sing this song called "Amazing Grace," but how amazing really is it? How amazed by it are we? And, and when I see this passage, it's really not that amazing when you look at it from the from the surface level. But when you dig into it. It becomes very amazing, and that's why I said, you know, we need to do this passage. We need to go through it, and and, and God really spoke to me, and I hope he speaks to you as well in this. So what I want to do is I want to take a little bit deeper of a look into it, and there's some strange things that we see in it first to begin with that that John is saying, and, and we need to kind of uncover it a little bit to figure out what exactly John's saying and what exactly Jesus is saying. And it kind of starts here in verse 43. It says, Jesus had just spent two days in Samaria, and now he's leaving for Galilee, I want you to see this, because we just touched on it already, this one, and we covered it pretty heavily last week. What is the purpose of Jesus' coming? Jesus tells us that he came to seek and save the lost. That is the reason why he came, and he did that by dying on the cross and raising from the dead, by, by pouring out his pure, spotless blood for us. Nothing that we earned, nothing that we deserve. And so if his job is to seek and save the lost. Would you say mission accomplished in the town of Sikhar or Samaria? Absolutely. Because he went and he sought out a lost woman and sought out a lost town knowing that he could share his word. And they came to the knowledge that he is the savior of the world. He came to that belief that he is the savior of the world. So mission accomplished on that one. And then he heads off to Galilee. Now, something interesting is said in, in verse 40, uh, 44 here, but before um, we get to it, I want to show you what it, they even say in verse 42, As right before he leaves. This is the town of Sychar. This is the people there talking to the woman. It says, now we've heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the savior of the world. I mean, that's a pretty amazing response. That is right where we want to be, because I mean, we're talking about Samaritans here. We talked about them last week, but they're, they're half-breeds. They're, they're a mix of Gentile and Jew. They're not the, the Jewish population that the Jewish religious people would go after. This is the people that Jesus went after. This is the people that only had the Pentateuch as part of their religious background. Everything else, they added to it. Everything else, they had their own worship area. They had their own mountain to go worship on. They weren't like the Jews, but this is where Jesus targeted. And this is the response he gets from them. And he had this great success, but then he goes to Galilee. And Galilee is the state where Jesus grew up at. See, he, he grew up in Nazareth, and Nazareth is the part of Galilee. And about 10 miles north of Nazareth was Cana. And that's where he did his first, his first uh, miracle, where he turned the water into wine. Well, it's the first one that's recorded. And we see that happening about 15 to 20 miles east of Cana was Capernaum. And that's where this royal official's son lay sick and dying. And so we see Galilee being the homeland, but but Jesus says something here, and, and, and John records it, and it says in verse 43, after two days he left for Galilee. But verse 44 says, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country, in his own land, in his own hometown. Why would Jesus, this is the confusing question, why would Jesus leave a successful ministry? a successful place to know he's going to go someplace where he gets no honor. Why would Jesus go out of his way from, from mission accomplished to seeking and saving the lost to go to a place where he's going to receive no honor? Why would he do that? Why would he set himself up for that? Because, you know, back in, in John one eleven, John records this as well. He says, he came to his own, his own people did not receive him. And I think that verse 44 here says it's a little bit confusing to us, but I think Jesus had a strategy in it. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. Because the people that he went to that he knew were not going to receive him, guess what? Guess what they eventually do? They fulfill exactly what God wanted him to do. They kill him. Because isn't that the real reason why he came? to seek and to save the lost but the way he did it was to die to die a death that only we deserve he lived a life that none of us could live and died a death that only we deserve but that is the reason why and that's the reason why i believe he comes to these people and that's the reason why he goes to these people that are going to reject him that aren't going to honor him because that is part of the plan And then the second confusing thing we see is how verse 45 ties into verse 44. Because if verse 44 says, hey, they're not going to honor him. They're not going to receive him. They're not going to have him. Look what it says in verse 45. When he arrived in Galilee, what did the Galileans do? They welcomed him. Well, doesn't that seem a bit confusing? If Jesus says, they're not going to honor me and they're not going to receive me, and then the next verse says, hey, they welcomed him. That seems a little bit off, doesn't it? But I guess we have to look at the difference from what the welcome on the outside looked like versus the welcome on the inside, on how it actually came down, because there's a receiving of Christ that has no real true honor. And there's also just a receiving of Christ that accepts him just as the Samaritans did. And we see a difference here. And we see a difference here, and we see a difference in the lives of people that we know and the people that we surround ourselves with. There's a difference there as well. See, it's not new in this chronological look that we've looked at. As we've walked through it, remember when we go back to John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, it says this, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people, and he did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each man. See, it says they believed. It says they believed, but it wasn't the belief of the kind of accepting of jesus christ it was believing that he was a miracle worker it was believing that he could do these crazy things but it wasn't believing that he was a son of god and they were being amazed by his miracles and not by him not by his grace and way too often way too often they saw and unfortunately we do the same We see the amazing things that Jesus does, but we forget that those amazing things point to something even more important, that is the glory of the Son of God. The fact that he is the Son of God, and we miss that way too often, but the Samaritans didn't. You realize that when they recorded about the Samaritans, he did nothing miraculously amazing other than tell this woman what her deal was, what was wrong with her. How is it? That he can go to these half-breeds that don't fully understand and yet go to the religious people that really don't understand and get two totally different responses. How is that possible? See, John tells us of, of another false faith or this superficial welcoming. And the worst thing is, it's within his own home. And we're going to see this as we get further down the line. I'm skipping a little bit ahead here, up to John chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. It says, this, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. To see what? The works. Not your amazing grace, not the fact that you're the son of God, not any of those things. The the works. Now, granted, if my brother came to me and said he was the son of God, I'd have some real issues with that too. So these guys are probably the hardest ones to, to actually convince that he's the son of God. But look what they say. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things... Show yourself to the world, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. They believed he could do the miracles, but they did not believe in who he was. They did not believe that he was truly the son of God, that the miracles pointed to the glory and the, and the majesty that is Jesus Christ. They missed that. They think they're receiving him. The people in Galilee think they're receiving him. The people in, in Jerusalem think They're receiving it, but yet they're only in awe by the wonders and and the things that he's doing, not in awe of who he actually is. And that's what we see here in verses 45 through 48. They welcomed him, it says. But why? Why? Because they had seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. They welcomed him because they'd seen the works of power. That's why they welcomed him, not because he was Jesus, but because they were amazed by his cool tricks. That's what we desire, is to be amazed. We, we want the next greatest thing. And it, it just kind of blows me away that Jesus knew, walking into this, this was going to be their attitude. I think I would have avoided them. I don't know about you, but he knew. And John mentions that the fact that this was the first place that Jesus had done the sign. So these people had already heard about Jesus. He turned water into wine. Everybody's still in awe over that. And what do they want when he gets there? They want to see something else cool. Because guess what? They don't have YouTube. They don't have the ability to pull up something and be like, wow, that was awesome. Did you guys see this? No. They get to hear it, and then they get to meet Jesus in person. This is the guy. This is the guy that turned the water into wine. Let's see if he does anything cool. Let's let's gather around. Maybe as he's walking along, something will happen, and he'll be like, you know, he'll make a little ball of fire, and you know, kind of just something cool. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? And and you know, when you're living in a town without TV, I'm sure you're waiting for anything cool to come along so you can see it happen in person. And th- and that's what I think was happening. Well, guess what? You would think that right here, John kind of lays it out and says, these guys aren't going to welcome him. Let's change the subject, to a guy coming 15 to 20 miles over to Cana because his son is sick. It says this, And there was a certain royal official in verse 46 whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. And look what Jesus responds to him. Unless you people, y'all, though he's talking here, it says Jesus told him, so he's talking to this guy, but at the same time, I think he's letting his voice be heard to the whole crowd that's waiting around, just to see what Jesus is going to do. Are you going to do? Are we going to load up the wagons? Are we going to load up all the donkeys and head fifteen miles over to, to Capernaum so we can see a miracle happen? What's Jesus say? Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. You will never believe unless you people see signs and wonders. You'll never believe, and that's what he's talking about. He says, "You believe, but your belief." Is in, in the power, not in, in me, not in the fact that I am the son of God, but just in the fact that this is what you're going for. And, and we see that belief. It's not the same belief that unites us to say that you are the son of God and I am a sinner, that you have saved me from that sin. It's not that same belief. It's just, wow, look what you can do. How cool is that? But what about this This official? Is this official fall into that category of those who do not honor him? Or does this official fall into a different category? Is he seeking after Jesus for the sign? Or is he seeking after Jesus as a savior? Which, which way is he looking at him? And it's like Jesus is kind of testing him here. And I know that sounds weird, but he, he's kind of laying there or laying it out for, for us here to see, is this guy for real? Does this guy really want something to happen in his life? Does he really want to see change? Because when I think about unbelievers, okay, the Super Bowl is a week away. There are going to be people up in Seattle that are going to pray to God for a miracle, okay? There are going to be people up in Denver that pray to God for a miracle. They have never prayed to God any harder than they will next Sunday, they will pace, they will walk, they will do whatever superstition and wear whatever jersey, whatever hat they have to wear and then pray to God for a miracle because they want God to fix their problem because the problem is is if you lose, you're a Super Bowl loser and you have to deal with that for the next seven months until the next season starts And, and, and that's the mindset that the unbeliever has. When my health is bad, that's when we pray to God. When my finances are bad, that's when we pray to God. When my emotional hurt is bad, that's when I cry out, oh God. Because I want God to fix it. I want to see his power at work. But I don't want to pray to him, God, I am a sinner. And I need you to save me from my sin and I want to live my life according to that and I need your power to be able to do it. That is not the prayer that we pray. That is not the the prayer they're going to pray in Seattle the day after. That that is not it. It's it's either one or the other. And the unbeliever, the the people who just received him for his power, that is who Jesus is talking about. That's the ones that he's standing in front of when he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Unbelievers, unbelievers are there. And I think Jesus is throwing out a test to this guy. So if it is a test how does he respond how does the the, the, the test come down well, what he does is he simply just repeats his request in verse 49 he says sir come down before my child dies come with me before my child dies you know what we don't see here you know what's not recorded here in, in the you know it's so easy to read a passage of scripture and just read it for for the words that are on the page. but but you know what's not recorded here is the passion that is in this this father's heart, this this father's words. It's just laid out. And sometimes we just read it how it's laid out. but I, I can be willing to bet that this man came with sincerity, that this man came with with a passion to see his son survive. I remember when, when camion was small. Uh, he had he'd gotten sick, and, and uh, it had turned uh, wh- what it found out later into pneumonia. And uh, in the process of that, you know, he was having some trouble breathing and, and, you know, kind of the blue lips and so on and so forth. So we took him to the to the ER. And the ER, they took him in. We sat there, you know, kind of doing the thing. You fill out all the paperwork. You do that. They went back to the room. Not a big deal. Got a sick kid. And they hooked up all the uh, the, the stuff to him. And in the process of hooking up all the stuff to him, Uh, the the blood pulse oxygen level came up at 30 and blue lights started to flash and doctors started moving around really really fast and they said hey we got to get him down to unmh down to the children's hospital down there and they loaded him up in an ambulance and christy jumped in the ambulance and i followed behind and we were just like what in the world and my mind just started spinning I remember going down there. I remember sitting at the hospital. I remember all the things. And the whole time I was there, no matter what test they wanted to do, no matter what x-ray they wanted to do, no matter any of the things they wanted to do, there was only one thing that was on my mind. That one thing was, is my boy going to be all right? The whole time, is my boy going to be all right? And while I was down there, and he was getting better, and he was in his room, we were in the, the children's ward. I started walking around the children's ward, and I'm looking into rooms, and I'm seeing kids that have no hair. And I'm seeing them struggling with, with terminally ill diseases, the things that are going to take their lives. And I'm watching the parents and seeing them in there just hanging over their kids. And I know the same thought is going through my, is my kid going to be all right? Do whatever you have to do. I just want him to be all right. We don't see that written in the passage, but you got to think this guy, he just walked 15 to 20 miles because he heard Jesus was in town. And he just walked 15 to 20 miles. It's probably seven to eight hours. You have to, you have to realize that. And the whole time he's walking, he just left his son, who is laying there sick and dying. He has no idea if he's going to get to Jesus in time, or even if he gets to Jesus in time, if Jesus will get back in time to heal his son. So his mind must be racing. Though so every step that he takes, every step, they go, I just got to get there, just got to get there, just got to get there. I got to meet this Jesus guy. And what does... What does Jesus do as it plays out? He says, sir, come down before my child dies. He requested and then he re-requested. And and I can almost imagine the people around the outside, these sign seekers, standing there going, this is going to be awesome. We get to see Jesus do something amazing once again. But how does Jesus respond? Go, and your son will live. You know what the amazing part about this passage is to me? This entire passage, it's not the fact, though it is amazing, it's not the fact that Jesus said, Go and your son will live. It's the dad's response. Look at the dad's response. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. You got to understand, this guy had come eight hours worth of walking, eight hours. And in the process of, of walking that, he, his mind had to have been racing. He meets Jesus. He, he finally gets there. It's 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So if you've been walking for eight hours, you got to imagine he got up really early and got going. And he gets there. And Jesus says, yeah, I'll go with you. No. He says, go. Your son's going to live. And the guy took him at his word and departed. How many of us take Jesus at his word and just leave it at that? How many of us go above and beyond to try and make sure that Jesus' word's actually going to happen? How many of us take it into our own hands and say, no, you understand. Jesus, I know that you're God, and I know that you're powerful, and I know you have all that stuff, but you have to come with me. And Jesus said, like, no, go. It's all good. I've already taken care of it. You know what even is more amazing about this passage? is that we see that it's the next day that he runs into his servants. He leaves at 1 o'clock. That's when his son is healed, and it says he took Jesus at his word, and he departed. But look what it says in verse 51. While he was still on the way, his servant met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as the time that he got better, they said what? Yesterday at 1 in the afternoon, the fever left him. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. If it's one o'clock in the afternoon, and I got an eight-hour journey to make sure my kid's alive, nobody's going to tell me yesterday. I'm getting home. I don't care if I just walked eight hours to get there that morning, and I got another eight-hour trip back. It says yesterday. So what's that mean? He stopped along the way. But who's going to stop along the way when you're worried about your kid being sick? When you're worried about your kid living? When you're worried about, or maybe he wasn't worried. Maybe that's the reason why. Because he actually did take Jesus at his word. How often do we worry about what might be? I mean, he took time to take a break. He took time to take a rest. He went the next day, and they met him. And the father realized that it was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. See, this is this is amazing to me. That is probably the most amazing part of the story. I the sad thing is I'm not that amazed that Jesus healed the kid. Because that's what he does. He he has that power. I understand that. What I'm more amazed is the faith of this man who had never met Jesus before, who had only heard things about Jesus before, who, as we will see shortly is part of the royal official family. And that royal official family means he was a part of the, the overall court of Herod Antipas, who's the one who killed John the Baptist, who's the one who killed his brother and then married his brother's wife because, and that's the reason why he killed his Kind of a crazy dude to be associated with. And yet, this guy, who I guess wouldn't really be considered part of the hometown anymore, Because he's so far out there. And the association, obviously, he didn't deserve it. He obviously didn't do anything to to earn it. But yet, he believed. It was a gift. And you know, if we were to step back and say, okay, well, what is the main point of this story? What is the main thing that we should walk away with here? There's really two things. And the two things are this. What? One is what keeps us from seeing Jesus' glory. What keeps us from seeing Jesus' glory? See, all the people that Jesus grew up with missed it. They missed his glory. They only saw that part of what he could do. They forgot that, who he was. What keeps us from missing Jesus' glory? And really, there's three things. Three things that come to mind right away. And the first one is this, a pride of attachment to someone special or something special. A pride of attachment. It's kind of like living vicariously through somebody else. There's a pride of attachment there. You know, if somebody makes it big that it's from Rio Rancho, we cheer for that guy. Why? Because they're from Rio Rancho. Because they're from Albuquerque. They're from our area. And we can live vicariously and say, hey, they're from our hometown." And sometimes we miss the person in all of that, and we only see the things that they do because the things they do help feed our ego. You got to remember something: when when Jesus when Jesus met his first disciples, and and Nathaniel was approached, and Nathaniel was approached, and and and, uh, and uh, he was told, "Hey, guys." you got to come meet this Jesus. He is the one. And Nathaniel's response was, where's he come from again? Nazareth? What good comes from Nazareth? When you think about it in that respect, people see Jesus doing miracles. What's that do for them? Finally, something good has come from Nazareth. Finally, we have a place on the map. Finally, we can live through that. We miss Everything that he is, but there's some cool things going on that we can attach ourselves to. And some people say, well, we're not in that same boat. We don't have Jesus in our hometown. But the thing is, is, is in our perspective, we can take that same pride of attachment with, with our church, with a, with a person, with a ministry, with all sorts of things along those ways, and we miss who Jesus is. You know, I... One of the big things I try and do is I try and find out where people go to church. When I'm talking, hey, where do you go to church at? You know, invite them to come here. And most of the time, people will tell me they go to some big church. And in that big church, they get excited about the big things that are going on and the the big events that are taking place. And, And the fact that their kids go to kids' church and they get toys. And, you know, there's all these things that they get really excited about. But they unfortunately are missing why they're getting excited about it. They're not excited about people's lives changing and the baptisms taking place. They're not excited about the, the people coming to know the Lord as their personal Savior and the growth that is taking place because most of them don't even recognize that. They're excited about the, the show versus what Jesus is actually doing. And 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 we could very just as easily get caught up in that in a small church. And we can get involved in that in, in a person. And we can get involved in that in all the different ways and in The reason why is because it feeds our ego. You know, we can slap a sticker on the back of our car and say, hey, this is the church that I go to, and I'm proud of it. But we forget what the reason why the church exists. And if you come to ownership class today, I'll remind you of it again. The reason why we exist is for Jesus, not for us. It's for his work and his pleasure. And we do it because he poured out his grace on us, that amazing grace. The second thing is we see a sense of entitlement. A sense of entitlement. And and this one's maybe a little bit different uh, than the first, but, but not by much. Because we know Jesus, so we get first dibs. We know Jesus, so we get special dibs. But when we start getting this feeling that Because we know Jesus, we're entitled to something, we miss out. And we forget that the blessings of Christ are by his grace, not because we're entitled to it. The blessings of Christ are there because he is who he is, not because we are who we are. And and we forget that. And the sense of entitlement will keep us from knowing who Christ really is. Because we'll assume we deserve it. Then the third one is really kind of the opposite of the last two. And that is this, an over-familiarity with Jesus. An over-familiarity with Jesus. I'll tell you what. It is so easy, I'm sure, for people that grew up in his town to know him. They've known him for 30 years. They've known him for his entire life. They watched him grow up. There's nothing special about this kid. Well, for people who've been in church for a really long time, it's easy easy to forget who jesus really is it's easy to not be amazed by his grace anymore we can be amazed by his signs and wonders we can be amazed that somebody's healed from a certain disease we can be amazed at at different things but you know what we really need to be amazed by is that on march 2nd we're going to have a baptism over here at the pool and those people who are being baptized their lives are changing that is amazing when somebody says, you know what, I was walking this way, but now I want to follow Christ, that is amazing. But when we become too familiar with who Christ is, it's just another thing. When I, when I talk to churches and they say, well, we haven't baptized anybody three, four years, and they're okay with that, that's a problem. Because they've ceased being amazed by what Christ is does and the change that he takes place. And and that's on this side. But what about the miracle that actually takes place? What do we we see in it? What can we learn from it? And the thing is, is the miracle that tells us first is, is that Jesus is gracious. Jesus is gracious. When Jesus decided to heal the boy, it's not because of what the Roman official had done. It's not because of what the Roman official had said. It's because Jesus is gracious and he is full of grace and if we have that pride of attachment or that sense of entitlement we miss that we miss the grace and the second thing is is that Jesus is powerful do you realize that when the man found out that it was at the spoken word of Jesus 15 miles away that there is no spatial limitations to God. There's no spatial limitation to Jesus. It could have been 15 miles. It could have been 15,000 miles. It doesn't matter. Jesus is powerful. And he, we see the change that takes place, and, and, and it's just so amazing. And that is the reason why Jesus came. That is the reason why the Gospels present Jesus as he is. That is the reason why we're taking this chronological look. I'm going to tell you, just about every Sunday, this is going to be the message that it all points back to Jesus. And, and we look at it, and John wrote this book after the fact. It wasn't like he was walking along behind Jesus with a, with a pad and just, you know, chiseling into his, his stone. That it, he was writing this out after the fact. And he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he saw the things. But look back to John 1, 14. What was the purpose of Jesus' coming? The Word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, that, that's it. That's what it, that's what it's all about. It's to see God's glory, not just to see His miracles, but the fact that He came from the Son. God forbid that we ever find God so familiar that we think of Him for less than who He actually is. God forbid, because it's so easy to sing the song amazing grace i i got back into watching american idol we took a couple seasons off because the judges got really weird but this year the the the, the judges are back to normal harry connick Jr. is hilarious and, and but they always sing amazing grace somebody sings amazing grace to try and make that their song to, to get onto the show it's the token christian song but it's not a token song it is amazing grace that saved a wretch like me and we we forget that how do you know god How do you experience God? Do you truly see that amazing thing called grace that has saved me from my sins? Or do you just see the amazing power that saved me from my sickness, that saved me from my financial trap, that saved me from that emotional hurt? Who is God to you? Where does it fall in line? In our men's Bible study on on Sunday morning, uh, Friday mornings, we've been diving into 1 Timothy. And the first chapter of 1 Timothy that we've gotten into, it talks, about, it talks about Paul, and he kind of lays out his testimony. Because the church at Ephesus was kind of going the wrong way. They were starting to believe in false teachers. And he says, no, 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 don't believe the false teachers. Don't believe the works. Believe in the fact that it's grace. I am a blasphemer. I'm a sinner. I am the worst. Jesus Christ came to die for sinners who I am the worst. He says that, verse 15. But as he wraps that passage up, there's a verse that has been bouncing around in my head since Friday morning, since we talked about it. And the more that is bouncing around in my head, and the funny thing is Jerome and I talked about it after service last night. But it's First Timothy one seventeen, It says, Now to the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We should wrap up every day with that very verse. Because the glory and the honor goes to the God who is faithful that we sung about earlier. The God who says that we will never walk alone. Because you know what? God doesn't have to be faithful to us. We're not faithful to him. He doesn't have to be faithful to us, but he is. Because why? Because he's God. And that's what it boils down to. Because he loves us. Because he cares for us. He wanted to make us his very own. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. The question is, you see that as just a... A thing, or do you see it as a complete life change? The fact that we focus on the glory and honor that, that God has, and we say, I am a sinner. You have saved me from my sin. I want to live that way. Change me, God. Change me from the inside out so I can go be a part of changing others. That's the question I have for you today. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for taking you for granted. Forgive us for for singing a song that says, God, you fight for us, and yet forget it when we walk out. That as we sing a song that says, never once will you let us walk alone, and we, we walk out of here as if we are alone. God, don't let us find you too familiar. Don't let us have that overfamiliarity. Don't let us have that sense of entitlement. Don't let, us, don't let us just focus on the amazing things and be attached to the amazing things and forget that we are attached to the Son of God. Change our hearts. Change our minds. Change us from the inside out, God, so that we can glorify you. Not glorify ourselves, not even glorify this church, but God, glorify you. We pray in your name. Amen.